You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up today, we visit Optimum Pharmacy in Newmarket and learn all about their virtual clinic and how telemedicine works. Also on the show, parents work together to make streets safer for students. But we begin with easing your anxiety about preparing the Thanksgiving turkey. Afwaba with the recipe for success. Thanksgiving is quickly approaching, and if that infamous turkey dinner is keeping you up at night, how to start, when to stuff, what to season, take a breather. I have someone here who will be able to put your turkey fears to rest. Joining me to chat today is Linda Werner. She is a personal chef. Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm happy to uh, help and uh, dispense of the uh, fears, the turkey fears. Thank no turkey you. fear required. No turkey. I like that. <laughs> that starts our conversation off on the right start. Um, great. So yeah. before we uh, get into it, let's let the listeners know. Tell us a bit about yourself. Some people call me Meg, uh, which is the uh, acronym for my business, which is uh, called My Everyday Gourmet, which I think is kind of cute and funny. Um, and basically, uh, I am a personal chef. I started my business uh, 10 years ago when the personal chef industry was a little sort of unknown. Um, and it was one of those uh, aha moments in life when everything came together and the industry presented itself to me through a friend of mine. And um, uh, all of a sudden it was this incredible platform for me to uh, put all of my uh, culinary and cooking passion together and send it out into the world and share it with everybody else. Well, that is lovely to hear. First off, congratulations on uh, 10 years of, uh, you know, just enjoying your personal journey and uh, cooking for yeah. those um, and helping people out and just sharing your love of cooking to the world. So congratulations on that, first off. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a lot of hard work, but it is truly uh, the definition of labor of love. Uh, so uh, I know uh, some of the different things you do, you cater, you help uh, cook personal meals, but you also help uh, with holiday meals. And the holiday that is uh, quickly approaching is Thanksgiving. And uh, the big dinner, the Thanksgiving dinner, the turkey dinner, that can cause people to be uh, quite anxious at times. So uh, let's talk about the bird, the, the main course, the turkey. Is it as stressful as some people say it is in terms of making a turkey? What are some general tips that you can provide? Well, I would have to say, um, ironically, cooking a bird is actually one of the easiest things one could possibly prepare. Um, I think what happens is that uh, it's the the mental anguish that that takes over. Um, you know, there's so much pressure on this on this uh, this piece of, uh, you know, for, for dinner. It's the centerpiece. Uh, you know, we want it to look beautiful. All eyes are on it. Uh, it's got to look like the magazine. God forbid it's dry. So a lot of pressure. And I think everyone sort of gets hung up on that. 
Um, and I think if they just take a moment and set that all aside and just spend a couple of minutes researching, you know, the weight of their bird, how many people it's going to feed, et cetera, et cetera. Really after that, it's, uh, just a, um, a process of, um, making something nice to put on the bird, uh, popping it in the oven, basting it a few times and letting it rest and away you go and you're done. Now, obviously, there's a few more steps involved, but essentially, that's just really all it is. You make it sound so easy. Okay, <laughs> before we jump <laughs> into it, okay, fine. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, trial and error, or maybe some people might get it all uh, right the first time off. So that is some good news to start off this conversation. I like that. Before we begin, uh, quickly, um, is it best to buy a frozen turkey or fresh, or does it even matter? Um, I don't think it really matters. Um, you know, I think budget plays into it. Uh, you know, where you're buying it from, what's available to you. You know, those are all sort of things to take into consideration. Um, I think if you can purchase fresh, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, meat products coming from, you know, smaller farms, local farms, organic if possible, not necessary. Um, but, uh, fresh if you can, either or, doesn't really matter. Um, the tip is, though, once it's been properly defrosted, if you have a frozen, uh, bird, is when you're ready to bake it, take it out of the fridge and let it come to room temperature. Um, that's going to ensure, uh, even cooking, and that's a, that's a must. And I would say that probably takes, you know, maybe close to an hour uh, to get it to room temperature. And don't worry, nothing funky is going to happen to the bird while it sits out there coming to room temperature. So that's step number one. Um, then I personally like to make a nice mixture of softened butter with fresh herbs, like a nice bunch of fresh parsley, some fresh thyme, salt and pepper, and lemon zest, which is a really nice um, sort of secret ingredient component for kind of any poultry when you're roasting any poultry, even like a nice chicken. And combine that all up, make it a nice paste. And then the fun part is uh, slipping it under the skin, uh, mostly all over the breast, if possible. Um, that sort of takes a little bit of practice, but it's kind of interesting. And that ensures that the bird um, will stay moist because it's got the butter and all these good things. And then the leftover of the butter um, sort of paste that you've made, rub it all over the rest of the turkey. And stuff the cavity, not with stuffing, but with lemon quarters, uh, uh, chopped onion quarters, uh, fresh garlic, and another handful of fresh herbs, and then just fill that up with that, and then boom, that's it. Put it in the oven, away you go. Wow, that Linda. Easy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, easy, I'm, right? I'm picturing this as you're going along, and I'm like, okay, get the lemon zest, get the butter, get the, get, and then you add it in the, the slivering under the breast part, and I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> but, well, you know, yeah, that, you that, that takes a little practice. Um, and it's actually kind of fun, you know, you just, you got to be patient and, and, uh, you know, and if the kids want to help, you know, they probably get grossed out by it, but, you know, it could be a fun thing to do with the family. Who knows? 
Who knows? Okay. All right. That sounds easy enough and um, sounds tasty enough, too. Okay. Now that we have uh, dressed the turkey, if you will, or we've uh, uh, put the butter on it and, and whatnot, uh, now yeah. I, I'm assuming it's time to slip it into the oven? It is. And I like to uh, start the cooking uh, temperature at a high temperature, so usually around 400, maybe 425, and let it cook in there for the first 20 minutes or so at the high temperature. Then lower your temperature to about 325, and then that will be your cooking time for the remainder uh, of the required cooking time. Basting would be at the first 20-minute uh, mark, so that's kind of your barometer. You've got your temperature on high, 20-minute timer is set, timer goes off, uh, reduce your temperature, do the first baste, and um, then I would say maybe three or four more bastings for the remainder of the cooking time, sort of like once every half hour. Um, do watch the top of the bird, the breast, because that tends to brown quickly. And so another tip is just to take some loose tin foil, cover the bird uh, for most of the cooking time, sort of the last two-thirds of the cooking time, just to make sure that it doesn't get too brown. And maybe in the last 15 minutes, you can take the tin foil off, have a little peek. Oh, okay, it's not too brown. Maybe you'll go for that final golden magic, uh, uh, you know, uh, magazine browning finish. Okay, so it looks like it's almost, there's a little of a TLC that needs to be required here. Um, instead of tender love and care, I'll say time <laughs> love and care. Yeah, just the time, you know, and, and really like there's no other checking to do on it. Um, just the basting every once in a while and, uh, you know, really that's it. Like it just wants to do its thing on its own in the oven. Um, another good thing is uh, a digital thermometer. Um, we want to make sure that it comes to a proper cooking temperature that it's done. Uh, usually 165, 170 is the sort of proper everything is cooked nicely time. Um, and just put that in your bird, usually around the thigh, uh, the thickest part of the thigh. Make sure you're not hitting a bone. It's just surrounded by the meat. And just keep your eye on that. And, you know, sometimes it's surprising. You'll look at the thermometer and go, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, at 165, 170 already. And in theory, I should be cooking this thing for another half hour. That's okay. Take it out. And then the final uh, uh, piece is to let it rest. Don't touch the bird. This is when dad comes into the kitchen or grandpa and they get all anxious. They want to start, you know, cutting it up and all the rest of it. Don't let anybody touch it for close to an hour. And then, then whoever the star carver is can have their moment. Okay, I never, I've never heard of that tip of terms of like leaving the bird alone. I always just hear, oh, it's out and it's done and have at it, but didn't know about the resting mm. part. Okay. Well, resting, what happens then is that all the juices that are inside of the bird stay in the bird. So if you took it out and you're like, okay, we're good to go, let's start cutting carving, then all the juices that are in there are just going to start to ooze out and come out and just, you know, trickle out onto your platter. And you want those juices to stay in the bird because that will ensure that it's going to be, hopefully, uh, as moist as you can get it. Got so it. it. helps with the drying out. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then just to backtrack a little bit, that digital thermometer part, that probably will help to ensure that no overbaking of the bird is done, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, even though I've cooked a couple of birds in my day, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, every oven is different. Uh, you know, temperatures vary. So I, it's a really, really um, handy and I think imperative uh, tool to have in the kitchen and to use at this time because you don't want to blow it. <laughs> Right, because <laughs> there's no there's no duplicate <laughs> turkey on the side. No <laughs> that's ruining it. the turkey allowed. <laughs> I will. Um, that's my tip one. I think for myself. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, now that the uh, turkey is done, but I guess alongside of making the turkey, that's the time that most people will be making the stuffing. I assume that probably doesn't take too much time. It's just putting um, a little bit of things together in terms of a garnish that will uh, help uh, enhance the beauty of the turkey and I guess will taste good on the side too. Well, you know, that is definitely, um, that's sort of a personal choice. Uh, I've done birds where I prepared the stuffing and put the stuffing in the cavity of <clears throat> the bird. But uh, not a huge fan of that. I just find that uh, it affects the cooking time. So it's going to take a little bit longer. And uh, I just don't think that that's a necessary thing that anybody wants. Uh, also, the cavity of the bird is, you know, not really, really big. So you're not going to get a ton of stuffing. Um, so ideally, I just prepare something on the side. You can make it the night before put it in a casserole dish. You could, uh, you know, bake it in the morning before the bird even goes in. Uh, and then it's all done. Just, you know, warm it up while the, while the turkey is resting just to make your life a little bit easier. So I'm a fan of keeping it separate. Also, um, simple ingredients, uh, dried breadcrumbs, apple, celery, onion, spices, and uh, raisins and a couple of little things that are personal, uh, personal preference some chicken stock. Uh, if you want to go veggie, just use vegetarian stock and uh, prepare it separately on the side. That's, that, that would be my vote. Okay. All right. All right. Check mark off my list on stuffing. I don't have to do anything with the lungs of the turkey. Great. Um, and then after, I guess, we go through the main course and, and have our turkey and have our fill, we don't necessarily have to chuck the, uh, the extra away. It can be used for leftovers on so many things, not necessarily Thanksgiving related, right? Yeah, I mean, leftovers are great and you can go in so many different directions. Um, you know, you can start off easy and uh, do the sandwich route for, you know, a couple of months. I'm kidding. A um, couple of days, uh, you know, lunch for the kids at school, at home, that type of thing. If you're into sandwiches, uh, you can, I kind of like to make something completely different. So there's a different flavor profile. I think by the time we've had the turkey and we've had the meal, we're all kind of used to those flavors and kind of tired of them. So I like to make sort of a family-friendly uh, bake. Uh, basically, take your, your cooked, uh, either shredded or cubed chicken and combine it with cooked pasta and um, make sort of like a tetrazzini out of it, which has got cream and uh, white wine and garlic uh, and cheese and all of that gets kind of baked. And it's satisfying and it's hearty it's easy to whip up uh warm up at the end of the day during the week you know after work after school type of thing to feed the family and you can freeze it beautifully so that's sort of one of my favorite um 
versions of the leftovers. You had me at bake. <laughs> you had <laughs> me at bake. And cream and wine oh. and all those other good things. <laughs> oh, it all sounds too good. I, I can, yeah. oh, I'm going too far. Okay, bring myself back. Um, one last <laughs> thing, Thanksgiving related before I, I, I move on. Um, in terms of uh, dessert, is it necessarily pumpkin pie that has to be always the main go-to dessert? Can you do any type of dessert? Does it matter? Well, you know, I think you just sort of take a read on on the guests and, you know, you can uh, do a little informal. Sometimes it's nice also to have a variety. So, you know, if you've got like eight people, ten people, um, you know, also to help yourself out since you're going to be uh, laboring, but not really, over the turkey, you know, is to ask uh, guests to bring a dessert and um, just maybe ensure that there's two or three different kinds. So there's a nice little variety. So if no one's into the pumpkin, then maybe they've got the nice crumble and, you know, just sort of, and I say even a nice little chocolate mousse something, you know, just something for everyone so everyone's happy and have a nice little different taste, you know, in your mouth after the meal. I can picture it. I wish I can bring it all together in my mind right now. Linda, how can residents reach you uh, if they are in a pinch and they, they need um, help in terms of preparing meals, if they need help with their Thanksgiving dinner, um, if they need help uh, in terms of making the bake with the leftovers? How can they reach you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a website. They can uh, punch in uh, myeverydaygourmet.com, all one word. Uh, and they can also reach me by phone, which is 416-451-3520, and uh, operators are standing by. And I'm standing by, too. <laughs> I will be there to help. <laughs> Linda, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, giving me the in and outs in terms of relieving my stress with this Thanksgiving dinner. Once again, residents, the website is myeverydaygourmet.com. And uh, Linda is standing by to help you with all of your needs. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And just relax, everybody. and Make sure you have a glass of wine while you're at it. and Everything's fine. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop takes us to Markham District High School, where Peter Triantifalakis and the Parent Council plan to make the commute to and from school a safer one for students. Peter, thank you for joining us on the feed. Uh, thank you for having me, Tina. Pleasure to be here again. Before we talk about the safety blitz, can you tell us a little bit about your role on the Parent Council at Markham District High School? Certainly. So I've been part of the school council for uh, four years now. And uh, last year, last school year, I actually served as the chair of the uh, school council. Tell us about some of the activities and events and initiatives that come from the parent council. Absolutely. So the parent, the school council is an opportunity to do a number of things that will make uh, school just better overall for the students. One thing that was identified a few years ago was uh, safety um, as it related to the students coming to and from school. So we started a comprehensive safety initiative at that time that looked to uh, implement a proactive framework that would address some of the safety issues that uh, students are facing uh, as they come to school and as they leave each and every day. Uh, At the same time, uh, school council, we look at 
other initiatives as well, um, you know, in addition to safety. So for example, something that we spent quite a bit of time on last year uh, exploring was uh, mental health and uh, what to do from an education perspective last year as it related to providing information to parents um, as the board does provide quite a bit of information to students uh, supporting, uh, you know, wellness and uh, mental health. What did you identify as some of the issues surrounding traffic and safety of students? Sure. So one thing we realized a few years ago when the safety initiative started was just what was facing the students each and every day as they were coming to school and leaving. It was a bit daunting in terms of them just trying to navigate and negotiate with all the vehicular traffic uh, that um, uh, is in and around the school, uh, including uh, private vehicles that come into the school, uh, dropping off uh, the, the students each and every day. So we wanted to uh, look at what could we change, what we could we improve, and at the same time um, promote safety uh, education and awareness to both the students uh, and you know the parents who are um, uh, you know a lot of times bringing the students to the school each and every day and picking them up uh, in the afternoon. Did you develop a, a safety plan, or were there recommendations that were made? Absolutely. So what we did is we started a safety initiative, and uh, so that took place during my first year. I'd um, raised this as a, um, a question whether other parents had also uh, noticed you know, safety concerns as it related to students coming to and from the school. Uh, you know, there, there was uh, acknowledgement that there are safety concerns and that parents are concerned. So the Council at the time asked if I'd be willing to start an initiative that would address uh, safety at Martin District High School. And that's where the safety initiative uh, started. So uh, with the help of the chair at the time <clears throat> and the other school council members, we did start uh, a plan. Uh, we brainstormed around what we thought some of the issues were and then looked at trying to address some of those issues. Uh, one thing that we did find that I did, you know, I do want to mention is unfortunately there's, there's not a silver bullet as it relates to the uh, safety, you know, at the school and what students are facing each and every day, meaning there's not one thing that would address uh, everything that we're seeing, but rather there's a number of things that the students are facing, which means there are a number of things that we need to look at from a solution perspective in order to uh, improve the safety for the students. Now, how supportive or involved has the school's administration been? School administration has been uh, lockstep with us uh, right from day one, as have the students. So we um, work with the student council uh, to you know both engage them, not only for the safety initiative, but also for uh, other things that we have going on as well, and to also better understand uh, what their topics of interest are that we could possibly support as a school council. Uh, and at the same time, the administration, they've been, uh, for the safety initiative, involved in that right from uh, the get-go, supporting in every way they can, uh, whether it uh, is giving us information uh, as to, you know, what some of the things, um, you know, are possible that we could put in place, 
uh, and or who we could speak to uh, if there's something that's under their jurisdiction, for example, uh, and also um, helping out with the safety blitzes by being a presence at the safety blitz to help, you know, raise that awareness that we require uh, in order to promote uh, safety and uh, education when we do conduct the safety blitzes. Now, what about those who say that this is helicopter parenting to the extreme, that secondary students really should know better and don't need this kind of supervision? Sure. So what I would say is uh, our students at the high school level absolutely have a, a great awareness of safety and what it means and understand how to navigate uh, to and from school. Uh, the issue is uh, we are trying to make the environment uh, a safer one so they don't have to uh, negotiate and try to deal with some of the things that they've been facing over a number of years. For example, um, we had uh, one of the uh, intersections that is just west of the school up to about um, just over a year ago was a two-way stop. And students uh, would stop at that intersection trying to cross, and they were met with cars that were traveling eastwards and, and westwards and trying to negotiate, you know, when's the best time for me to cross. Well, as you can imagine, in the morning, things get pretty busy uh, in the neighborhood there because you have vehicular traffic from uh, vehicles that are traveling in and around the neighborhood, from people that are uh, going uh, to work and other places in addition to traffic that uh, comes up from uh, vehicles that are transporting uh, students uh, to school, uh, for example, in the morning and the afternoon. We actually, through um, uh, promoting and trying to get the support of the city of Markham, were successful in having that intersection changed into a four-way or all-way uh, intersection that now uh, gives the students an opportunity to cross safely, whereas before uh, it, it wasn't, um, you know, as safe. So uh, I, I wouldn't say it's helicopter uh, parenting as much as it is trying to improve the environment that is much required because the students absolutely get it and uh, they know, uh, you know, uh, with cars traveling to and from the school, they have to be safe and look up and know when to cross. But the real thing is, why uh, have it um, uh, why have it be a challenge each and every day when there are definite things that you know stand out that can be improved uh, to make the the commute to and from school much safer for the students. Now, Peter, are the traffic or safety concerns unique to Markham District High School? That's a great question. So. I've learned along the way that, and I've, you know, um, said to others as well, the traffic, um, uh, the, the concerns that we see, uh, they're, they're twofold. So one, uh, there are issues that are uh, common and exist with other schools, and then there's issues that are unique uh, to our school. So for the issues that uh, we think are um, global in nature, uh, we see this as an opportunity not only to um, um, liaise with other high schools in, uh, in you know, the entire region and talk about uh, what we think are global issues and better understand what it, they may be done and maybe at the same time share some of the things we have done. Uh, and we also understand that some of the concerns that we see 
are unique to our school based on location, based on the design of the school, based on things such as um, um, points of uh, entry and exit. So we understand there's basically two issues that umbrella everything that we see at the school. So we have our next safety blitz that we're providing and conducting uh, in the month of November on Tuesday, November 19th. Safety blitzes are uh, a behavioral um, uh, sort of initiative that we have underway, trying to keep safety top of mind for everyone, uh, for the students, for the parents in providing that education. At the same time, um, we also use the safety blitz as a means to promote alternate means of transportation, including public transit, riding your bike to school. If you can walk to school, you know, walk as well. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us on the feed. My pleasure, Tina. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is The Feed, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including the recent grand opening of Optimum Pharmacy and Walk-In Clinic in Newmarket. Here in studio to tell us all about it, and we've got a full house here, Dean Miller. He is president and CEO, Whole Health Pharmacy Partners, Fora Ramadi, and she is pharmacy manager, Optimum Pharmacy and Walk-In Clinic, and Tara Sani, business manager, Optimum Pharmacy and Walk-In Clinic. Thank you all for being here. Pleasure Thank to be you. here. Pleasure being here. So let's start with where is Optimum Pharmacy and Walk-In Clinic? Thank you, Tina, for having us. Um, Optimum Pharmacy is located in New Market 165 Davis Drive. Um, we are um, basically an independent pharmacy, and also we have a virtual walk-in clinic. So let's start with what are the advantages of having an independent pharmacy? as opposed to those larger, big corporations and companies. Uh, thank you very much for having us, Tina. Um, I am not a pharmacist, and I look at this business uh, from the client point of view. My expectation as a patient or a customer is that my pharmacist get to know me, my needs and situation, and has more one-on-one interaction with me and treats me like family, that I can trust him or her as my primary health care provider. We all know our pharmacists play an important role in health care, and for many people, a pharmacist is the most accessible health care provider. I think independent pharmacists run their business in a way that will best meet the needs of their communities and compare to those big box retailers or chain drug stores. Okay, now, for you mentioned telemedicine, right, and the virtual clinic. What is that all about? Uh, basically, during my practice, I've seen so many people so many times that patients come to a pharmacy from ER with a prescription in hand for a very simple cough and cold product with a simple antibiotic for urinary tract infection. And then I asked them, what made you to go to ER? And the answer is, I had no other option. My family doctor can see me. The walk-in clinics either are closed or too crowded. ER was the only option. A very simple ER visit will cost taxpayers around $700. You might need to wait hours to be seen. And also, there is the risk of 
hospital acquired infection, especially for seniors. So we thought, how could we help with our community to overcome this issue? We teamed up with good doctors, medical clinics, and established a virtual walk-in clinic. Virtual care basically is modernizing our healthcare, and the whole idea is to ensure everyone has easy access to the best possible care when they need it. When I'm sick, I can't wait for two weeks to be seen by my family doctor. Having more than 30 doctors on board will ensure accessibility. Patient can be referred to a specialist if they need to. Also, there are a few tests that can be done on spot. For example, pregnancy test, um, rapid urine test, or um, strep throat test. Nadine, can I ask you, in a day and age where retail is dominated by big stores and online, what inspired you to open another brick-and-mortar pharmacy? Uh, well, it's a great question. I think, you know, one thing that a lot of the public probably don't realize, because, you know, a lot of times people think pharmacy and they think, okay, the corner shoppers drug mart or there's Rexall or stuff. But the biggest market share in Canada still is with independent pharmacy. So independent pharmacy, unknown to most people, still occupies about 52% of the entire market share. And, you know, where you access healthcare in your community. So whole health is what we call an independent banner. So we have a number of stores, uh, over 70 now, that are within our banner. And the inspiration, because they exist today, I mean, there's there's many other banners out there of independent pharmacies, but this one is different. So what we wanted to achieve with, with this banner is uh, something where we took, uh, um, you know, the cream of the crop pharmacists, like four over here, and, uh, and, you know, help them achieve success in, in their pharmacy vision. Uh, in their community, and uh, Newmarket is the beneficiary of uh, of Optimum Pharmacy, which is uh, a great, great thing. And are there doctors on site as well? Well, um, we have an international uh, medical grad, um, so when people come in, when a patient come in, um, they're going to be um, there's a history will be taken by the uh, our IMG or the nurse practitioner. If there is any test that needs to be done, she will do it, and also. Um, if there is any exam, physical exam that needs to be done, again, she can do it. And then they will get connected to one of the available doctors um, on a screen. Um, and then there is a conversation between uh, the patient and the physician. Um, they will get diagnosis and then um, the prescription will be faxed to pharmacy. And very easy, patient can get the medication, go home. And how is the patient reaction to having a doctor on screen? Well, um, at the beginning, when we when they come in and we say it's a virtual walk-in clinic, like they have no idea what we talk about. But when we open up, like this is the process, this is the way. It's a little bit different. Still, you're gonna communicate with the doctor. Still, you're gonna um, ask all your questions. Uh, so, well, as long as I get the care I need, I don't care if the doctor is on the screen or if the doc I can see the doctor in person. No, people have been pretty. Um, uh, good with accepting the idea. It's not long ago that Newmarket was considered uh, an area where accessibility to doctors wasn't that strong. Uh, so it's only recently that sort of that's been corrected throughout Canada. You know, this this sort of takes it to the next level and, and gives you that accessibility because, you know, they, they often say that 70% of emergency visits are for things that, 
quite truthfully could have and probably should have been um, you know taken care of at your family physician or mm-hmm. at another healthcare professional. So you know with it at your fingertips, uh, the, the virtual care concept, I think is going to continue to grow in Canada uh, you know over the next uh, you know five to ten years. And Tara, what else did you want to add about the business? Actually, as I said, you know, being in a patient's shoes, the other point that I consider is convenient, being convenient. So whether it's due to aging, illness, or simply impatience, many people don't want to have to walk through a big box store to retrieve a prescription. I personally pick a location that allows me to park my car right by the door with free parking and keeping the shop size small so that customers can get in and out quickly. We also pay attention to needs of the newer generations. To accommodate for their desire of speed, we adopted a system that allows for the uploading of prescriptions pharmacy field, and home delivery, all through the Optimum Pharmacy app. Now, Ford, do you consider yourself the front row healthcare provider? I say yes because of my experience for last 10 years. I've seen people, especially the patient that I have that relationship, I built up that relationship with, as soon as they come up, they, they have an issue uh, for themselves or their family, they pick up a phone and they call the pharmacy. They want to talk to their pharmacist because if it is 8.30, you don't have access to your um, family doctor. You, you can't go to a walk-in clinic. The first thing that comes to their mind is, I'm going to call my pharmacist. So I consider pharmacist role as uh, pri- one of the primary healthcare providers. And Dean, can I ask you, just before we wrap things up, what is next for whole health providers? Well, you know, we're going to continue to grow because we are one of the newer, you know, pharmacy banners or organizations uh, across across Canada. I think a lot of new pharmacists, new practitioners, people that have never, you know, pharmacists that have never, um, uh, you know, opened their own independent pharmacy have looked to us because we are new and we are providing that those opportunities for to to, to practice the, the the way they've wanted to. I mean, a great example is is you know seven eight years ago, uh, you used to always have to go to public health or your doctor to get your flu shot. You know now, you know where's the most popular place to get your flu shot today? It's in a pharmacy, it's at right? The pharmacy. So so you know it's opportunities like that to kind of build on that. Um, and we've got tons of ideas uh, for for pharmacists, and we just hope to explore those and expand and. And is this the model then going forward? Uh, oh, absolutely! Like to keep uh, to keep uh, um, you know interacting and and having uh, good quality pharmacies pharmacists join our banner. That's the ultimate goal here. I mean, whether it's you know I don't want to put a number on it, but it's it's really um, what appeals to that pharmacist out there. And you know, a lot of the new generation of pharmacists coming out of the schools today, uh, new practitioners. I mean, they're. They're much better than I am, and I'm an old guy. In <laughs> not so much. <laughs> and very soon, um, they're thinking about it still not um, confirmed. Pharmacists are going to have to have the ability to prescribe for minor ailments. So if you have a simple urinary tract infection, then you don't have to go see a doctor. So simply you can go to see your pharmacist um, and then 
to get the, the treatment that you need. So the test, the diagnosis could all happen in the same location yeah. and then the treatment or the prescription could happen on site as on well. On site by the pharmacist. Now you also mentioned before we went uh, on the air, you talked about your fertility section. Yep. Yeah. And why did you want to make that part of your location? Um, again, it's based on the need that I felt like we need uh, this kind of service in the area. I used to work in another pharmacy located in downtown Toronto, and I had people calling me at 8 o'clock in the evening, like, well, do you have this medication? I'm just driving from Barrie down to downtown um, to get this mess. Like, well, like, just are you sure there is no other pharmacy around? It's like, nope. I've called literally 50 different pharmacies. Nobody has this. So we decided to um, start providing care to um, these couples. And the fact that one in seven couples um, trying to have a baby will experience infertility and it still is very difficult to um, locate a pharmacy that stock this medication. It's it made me think this is something that I have to do. So you can understand their desperation and obviously their need. Absolutely, because this is a very stressful stage of their life. So, and we wanted to make it as comfortable as easy. So, like looking around for your medication. Like if you can't get your medication for one night, your whole cycle is screwed. So, uh, your fifty, sixty thousands of dollars go to nothing. The Optimum Pharmacy is a great example of pharmacists doing new and innovative things. I mean, fertility, like in the past, who would ever go think of You wouldn't think of, think of it. Right? But uh, certainly it's a great niche, I think, that Tara and Fora are exploring, and uh, I think they're going to do well. If Thank our you. listeners want more information about Optimum Pharmacy, where can they go? Um, very easy. So you can go to our website, www.optimumpharmacy.ca. We are on social media, uh, Facebook. Please find us on Optimum Pharmacy, Twitter. Our phone number is 905-235-8820. You can call us and we're going to help you for um, all your needs. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Oh, thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Earlier this week, the Toronto Maple Leafs kicked off the NHL season and even named a new captain in John Tavares. As we know, there are many professional players who got their starts on local teams. Our Jim Lang checks in with one of them, the York Simcoe Express. Hockey's in full swing all over York Region, especially minor hockey, which got underway in September. Thrilled to be speaking to Mark Swirla, the head coach of the York Simcoe Express AAA Adam Hockey Team, who are off to an excellent start this season. Just one loss, Mark. Yes, just one. Just one. The boys fell asleep one game, but all in all, been pretty consistent. Um, you've been involved in AAA hockey in the region for a while. Before we get too much into your team, describe your hockey background, how you went from being a player to now coaching at the AAA level in the region. Well, uh, I played hockey my whole life, and um, it was my passion. And uh, I was very fortunate that my, my dad, who uh, supported me the whole time, he's also uh, a time president of Newmarket Minor Hockey as well. And so it's been uh, being involved in hockey right at the dinner table, <laughs> chatting about it, uh, learning about it has been uh, kind of in my roots right uh, right from when I was a kid. And, you know, when I got older and 
I guess I started coaching when I was 21, uh, when I was um, finished uh, college, and I wanted to give back, and I enjoy just being around the kids. I mean, the York Simcoe is a tremendous AAA organization. It's produced kids like Connor McDavid, Quentin Byfield, who's ripping up the OHL with Subway right now. Um, but I think about 10-year-old kids now, because Adam Hockey's kids is kids age 10 and under. How different is the skill level now for that 10-year-old playing AAA as opposed to when you were 10? Oh, you're comparing apples to oranges. It's um, that different now. Absolutely. When I was, uh, when I was 10, um, every kid played hockey in the winter and other sports in the summer. It wasn't an, there wasn't an opportunity to play uh, 365 days a year. Uh, it wasn't as big business as it is today. Um, and now kids, um, you know, there's kids that uh, uh, play hockey 365 days a year at 10, and, and um, which I'm not my philosophy. But, um, you know, unfortunately, today's day and age, some parents, once they find out their, their kid is good at one thing, they focus on it, opposed to having them try multiple things. And, and um, what, what skills you may develop at a different sport may help you at the sport, maybe your main sport down the road. So. I always think about your challenges as a coach, Mark, for kids that age, because th- they're on the next level to minor PB. Now we're starting to get into serious AAA hockey at that level. How do you balance teaching them, make sure they learn those fundamentals every practice, skating, shooting, passing, along with the drills that you need to, to win and be successful? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the young ages, you're still, your job, your role as a coach is to develop them skill-wise and teach them the basics, the fundamentals, but you also got to teach them to love the game um, because it will be a time and age, a uh, time and in, in point where they have to actually focus and it will be about just winning, um, playing defined roles on a, on a team, not just rolling the, uh, you know, equal ice time or fair ice time, as I like to say. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a slippery slope. And you're finding the kids, I mean, are they still on that age where they do truly have the love and the passion for the game when they come to practice in games? If they don't love it, then it's a long, long season. We're together six days a week on the ice. You know, last year we played almost 75 games, which is... At nine years old? Including tournaments. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, at the AAA level, if you don't like it or love it, um, then it's a long, long season. Most of our kids, there's never ever a question if uh, they have to go to practice. Never them do they say, ah, I don't really want to go. Um, Lose you at this level, every kid, that's all they want to do. Speaking with Mark Swallow, the head coach of the York Simcoe Express, AAA Adam hockey team, uh, heavily involved with minor hockey, York region for a long time. Um, what is the biggest challenge being a coach at AAA level? Is it sometimes getting the kids to the level you need them, or is it dealing with the parents of the kids who maybe aren't as talented as the first liners or your best players? Yeah, I guess it's the makeup of your team really can be the um, you know the devil in the details, right? If uh, you know some teams, if I use a team like you know for instance Connor McDavid, you have a elite superstar. Um, who does a lot of your heavy lifting, you know, and if it's about winning, then he's on the ice lots. Um, if you have a well-balanced attack where you may not have uh, someone like uh, an elite elite or you have uh, a well-balanced team and, and you're able to play everybody um, on a regular basis, then the less chance you're going to have some backlash from the parents. Uh, you, you have two big tournaments coming up um, that a lot of teams in York Region will be part of. The Shanahan International Tournament yep. and then the Vaughn Kings Tournament, which is a yes. big tournament. Those are a month apart. Uh, is your approach different going into tournaments like that than just a regular regular season game? Yeah, for sure. Both those tournaments are uh, 
great tournaments because all the big teams will be there. All the teams that uh, you want to play and you want to aspire to, you want to be the best at your level. That's what we all. Uh, that's our goal as a, as a team. We talk about it all times. Uh, we want to be the best and we want to play the best. Um, and so, you know, it's getting mentally prepared. We we talk about it on a regular basis in the dressing room with the kids that we want to be the best. And um, there's things that we need to do in order to get there. And, you know, we, we talk about it uh, on a regular basis uh, as our common goal. Is it is it a sense of pride as a coach? You see the kids coming in. These are your kids, your players. Got the shirt and tie. Got the team jacket. You know, look good, play good, feel good. They look like they're young professionals. Yeah, uh, nothing better than I see the kids wheeling in with their uh, with their shirts and ties, and there's sometimes their fedora hats. And oh, do uh, they do? Is that there's right? There's a few of them that were, <laughs> were the matching tie with the shirt and and. Uh, um, and what's even funnier is watching them sometimes leave the room at 10, trying to put the tie back on that their parents <laughs> put on for them before they left or tied. And, um, it's, uh, you know, the dressing room at, at a young age is no different than dressing room at an older age. It's, uh, it's quite, uh, quite amusing. I enjoy sitting and just watching, watching it all. Outside of just, you know, winning and losing, what, what's your greatest satisfaction coaching kids at this age, Mark? Biggest satisfaction? You know, my goal is to make sure they're better as a person. Uh, when they finish with me, uh, than when they started. Um, and that's just in life skills, um, team focus, uh, the way you treat, you respect. Um, there's a way to win, there's a way to lose, and to do it gracefully and respectfully. And, um, you know, uh, that's why I like coaching at the young ages, because I, I really feel that that's probably one of my specialties in, in that I see things. Um, it's not about winning or losing, mm-hmm. it's about doing things the right way. And uh, if you do things the right way, generally you'll have success. And those old things like manners, respect for parents and coaches, picking up the pucks after practice, that's a good foundation to have as they get into bantam and midget. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and every kid needs to know that there's, there's, a, there's a seating order um, you know, at the table. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, and there's not to say that uh, over the course of a year or a course of uh, a few years, your seat changes. It changes on a dime. You know, kids grow. They don't grow. The game gets quicker. Can't quids develop. Kids um, have troubles. It, it's a constant moving target. But it's our job as coach to keep them motivated and work with them and, and um and keep them moving forward from a development's point of view. Because I always, th- and it's funny you just brought that up just to wrap up. At that age, I know with our kids, sometimes they'll see the kids show up the first day of school like, who's that? Yeah. Like they the, the grow four inches in a summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know because I don't see the kids all summer, uh, and I've been with the team the last three years. Um, yeah, there's certainly some kids. I saw them come in in uh, in our training camp in August. I'm like, holy cow! Like, did he leave the table? He must have been. He's grown six inches. And, and even on, at that age, is that much of a difference? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, and some kids grow late, and some kids uh, put on weight, and some kids lose weight. It's you know, it's a. It just depends on what they do, right? While involved with some great minor hockey, Mark Swirler, head coach of the Erkscombe Express, AAA Adam hockey team doing great work. One loss so far this season and big tournaments coming up. Mark, I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. My pleasure. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know that we're proud to feature new talent and new music. Christina Lavecchia is next with Melodica. We have electro-pop artist Melodica here in studio. Thank you for coming by. No problem. For anyone who isn't familiar with the music genre, electro-pop, tell us a bit about it. Electro-pop, I feel it's just kind of like a fusion of different things. A lot of people um, like me who is so into rock really make like that kind of more 
intense and more fierce, strong version of pop. That's how I envision electro pop. That's kind of mainly what it is. It's kind of just a bit more like slam, more punch, you know, kind of more raw. You were born and raised in Montreal, but moved to Toronto to pursue music. Why Toronto? Toronto was the, I guess, closest, bigger city um, away from Montreal. I was either going to move to New York City or Toronto to pursue music. Um, Yeah, mainly just to network more. And I also compose in English. So I did find it a lot easier to find gigs in the city of Toronto opposed to doing the electro-pop music in Montreal. How have you been finding it so far? Really fun. Yeah? Yes. It's very different, yeah. <laughs> have you gotten more comfortable with the city now, or um, are you here by yourself, or do you have like that kind of support system here? At first, I moved here by myself because a friend of mine that we went to school together in Montreal, he moved here to to continue doing music. He's a, he's a rapper. He goes by Crossed Out, and we ended up dating, so we've been <laughs> together for four years, and so finally I ended up not being completely alone in this big city, and we do a lot of music together, and we do tours together. Yeah. So it's great that you guys are in the same industry and have that same passion. It and worked out perfectly, yeah. Where do you draw your inspiration from as an artist? So many different. This one is always the hardest question. Um, I feel like my roots is still rock music, Um One band called Tool I grew up listening to back in high school when I was 16 years old really just stuck with me. They were very deep and intellectual and very progressive, and it was just so interesting. I call it just smart music, and it just made me just want to actually go further one day with my music and start, you know, spreading out some positive messages to people, too, through music. You also run your own blog, Foolish Dreams Music Blog. What made you want to start that project? I literally just started. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, it's funny, as an independent artist, I always thought it was such a struggle to network with different blogs, um, different companies, just to try and get them just interested in my music, just to get them to listen to my song is almost impossible. So my boyfriend and I, we kind of created this blog together, and the goal was just to network with unsigned artists, give them that opportunity to have us listen to their song, review their music, and give them the social media blast that they deserve and get the exposure that they deserve. If anybody wants to visit the website, where where can they do that or sub- make a submission? Um, foolishdreamsmusicblog.com. Yeah, just check it out. There's the contact tab. You just click, give us all the info, and we go from there. Yeah. You have a new single called Joyride. What's the song about? So this is an empowering um, kind of fierce song. It's mainly a song about being unique and accepting being who you are and not letting anyone kind of tell you what you should do with your life, who you should be. Um, Very cliche topic, however, very necessary, especially in our society with like social media. And I find a lot of young people especially struggle with identity crises. And Joyride is basically just that one song you can listen to to just make you feel good about yourself and to accept being who you are and being unique and being different. And does that come from personal experience? Or oh, totally, is, yeah. 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 <laughs> for anyone who hasn't already seen the music video for Joyride, Melodica is walking in an industrial area. You're painted head to toe in silver, yeah. <laughs> and you have two mouths painted on the palms of your hands. What was the inspiration behind the video? I kind of woke up one day and I'm like, oh my God, that would be such a cool like costume. <laughs> So when I had the idea of putting like the mouths that you see on the hands, it's Mm -hmm. kind of that concept of speak no evil, kind of like you're brushing off the negative vibes. It's like, go, 
The big question is, did it take you a lot of time to scrub off that paint? It took that four process? hours to put the paint on. <laughs> yeah. We had a, a makeup artist. She's from Toronto, too. Her name is Erin Sweeney. She's mm-hmm. great. Um, just removing it in the shower. I think that was the <laughs> longest shower of my life. <laughs> you performed Joyride um, and another one of your singles, Unaware, Part 2, live in our 105.9 studios. To catch that performance, you could head on over to our york24-7.com site and uh, view it out there. And you recently announced to your fans on social media that the Melodica project might be going on a mini hiatus. That's right. I need a small mental break from the music industry because I felt myself a little bit over the top this summer when releasing the song. It was very demanding to post every day on social media and to like connect with people, get people to listen to my song, stream this here, like follow me. And I just needed a break for the end of the summer primarily and... One of my biggest goals with the Melodica project is to form a band and make it an electro pop rock project and go from there. I met some good people, so I'm hoping that this will turn out in 2020 will be really good for Melodica. Thank you so much for coming by and it was great speaking with you. And um, if listeners want to hear more of your music or learn more about you, where can they connect with you online? Melodica.com, Twitter at Melodica Music, Instagram at Melodica Music, Facebook at Melodica, YouTube, Melodica Music, everywhere. Yeah. And Taking Us Out is Melodica's latest single, Joyride, right here on 105.9 The Region. Shut up and-
That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.